podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. Hi, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association, and our podcast today is entitled Beyond the Cognitive Domain, Integrating Social and Effective Domains. Today, we have Patrick Arts. Patrick, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Patrick is an associate professor at Bellevue University at the College of Arts and Sciences. He's a professor of undergraduate courses in corporate communications and technology. He is also a professor of graduate courses in 21st century communication, technologies, ethics, and is also a developer for online courses in managerial communications and general education core courses. He is an associate professor for the College of Information Technology at Bellevue University. He has his MBA from Bellevue University along with a Master of Science from the Center for Information Technology and a Master of Arts from Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. And if you had an opportunity to actually view his resume, you would see a long list of professional honors and publications. Pat, we're thrilled to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I guess my first question would be, what do you mean by learning domains? Well, it's a popular term, learning domains. It does get mixed up with learning styles and with personality styles. But the basic idea is that you can divide learning objectives into probably three or four different domains. One would be cognitive, and we're all familiar with that. We think, we remember, we analyze. That's the bread and butter of higher education. We also have the affective domain, values. And then we have psychomotor domain, or sometimes called kinesthetic, although that's harder to pronounce, so I like psychomotor. That tends to be very popular with uh, anything that you do, drama, physical education, art, music. And then there's also another one that one of my colleagues at the university, Cy Lisey, and his team came up with called the social domain. He found a lot of learning objectives that didn't quite fit any of those three completely, and he has something called the social domain, which is almost self-explanatory, the idea that, that we are social animals. A lot of the things that we do and teach are aimed at interactions. What actually prompted you to become concerned about adding more learning domains to your online classes? People who develop online classes probably have had a chance to go back and look at an earlier class that they developed and haven't touched for maybe a few years. And I had that experience, one of my first classes that I developed for a corporate client, and I went back to refresh it and I thought, oh my goodness, what? how boring was I? This, this is a terrible class. Uh, it wasn't a terrible class as in you, they, they couldn't pass the class or understand the material or you couldn't walk through it in a very matter-of-fact fashion. But it left me sort of cold and dry. It really doesn't communicate the passion that people bring to their professional field. It didn't really communicate the passion that I felt for the topics. So I wanted to infuse the course with something a little bit more energetic. 
why are you trying to add more learning domains to your courses? I'm sure students didn't request it. Well, surprisingly, online students, the first thing that they, they want to be reassured on is that they do not have to do any group projects or group assignments. They're very worried about anything that involves the social domain because online is hard to platform to people interact seamlessly. But when it comes to the affective domain, I think the students actually welcomed it. I often got comments along the lines of, well, that question was refreshing, or that question really made me think, even though what it really made them do was think about how they feel about something. So I, I think they enjoyed the curveball every now and then. They got tired of fastballs all the time. They wanted a little more variety. How do your courses actually change when you add more domains? Well, the one thing that I noticed, the first step was to add more discussion prompts. Every week there's a discussion assignment. They have to post a main posting, and I usually had one question. Well, we have up to 24 students in an online class, and I noticed myself getting very, very bored reading the same responses over and over again, and I thought, if I'm bored, my students are probably terribly bored. So I added more discussion prompts. Uh, that means that not every student is answering the same question. Maybe they're not focusing on the same part of the chapter, but they also have to respond to each other. And so we can cover more topics that way. We can interject more variety. And then I can also play around with the writing prompts. I can have some primarily cognitive, some primarily affective, some talking about what they've done professionally or personally, which hints at the psychomotor. And then we're interacting with each other on the replies, so it, the, the social domain is, is built in. There's other ways that you can integrate them. Once you get past the mental block of having everyone do everything at the same time, then you can start to open yourself up to a lot more variety. And in fact, I've got now final projects that they can make a choice. They have four choices on how they want to structure their project, and they choose one of those based on probably their learning style, but primarily for me as I design the course, it's in a particular cognitive domain. It may be a traditional research paper. We're all familiar with those, and that's probably what most courses will include. But also I have a, a multimedia tour that they can put together for those who feel more comfortable with technology. And then I have a, a combo method that I call it, where they write a shorter paper and they supplement it with multimedia materials. And then I have partner approach, where they can work with a partner and oftentimes I steer them toward a partner who, where one of them wants to write a paper and one of them wants to do multimedia. I say, why don't you work together if you can find a topic that you have in common? Those kinds of things for the students to do add variety. I got a digital camera for Christmas one year and I thought, how can I use this besides just taking pictures of my kids, taking pictures of my family, taking pictures of famous places that you could probably buy a postcard of and have a better picture anyway. What can I do? Make it fun for me and useful. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in my general education classes where we study human geography, uh, where we study all of these social topics. And I travel a lot. I'm here at a conference in a new city, so I brought my camera. I can take pictures and add maybe a picture a week. Or I can go to the public domain sites on the internet and find a picture a week. 
there's a lot of music videos, a lot of world music, many things on YouTube that you probably would show to a class, but not grade. You probably would maybe start a class with an interesting tidbit, a news story, and you wouldn't quiz them on it. It wouldn't be an assignment on it. I found myself not including those in my online classes. I was so focused on what needs to be graded. And now I've relaxed a little bit. Maybe after going through the course three or four or five times, I got bored a little bit. It dawned on me. I should add those things that I also add to my face-to-face -face classes. I should add the icing for the cake. What has been the reaction of students? The students, for the most part, are a little bewildered at first. They step into the online class probably from another online class, from another instructor that is, I would say, most likely similar to those first classes I developed. Very straightforward, very matter-of-fact. And it can be a little overwhelming for them at first when they see, instead of one description of a final project, that they see four methods to choose from. And choosing is hard. I mean, it requires more thought for the student to read four descriptions and pick one of them rather than just being told what to do. It also can be a little disconcerting to see six or seven discussion prompts and have to pick one. Once again, it's, it requires a decision, a little more thought. But once they settle into it, usually week two or three, the questions die down about the logistics of the class and they start to enjoy it. How about administrators? What have been their reactions? Surprisingly, it's been a rather split reaction. Uh, you would expect typically administrators to welcome a variety, to welcome multiple learning domains, multiple learning styles in a class, but it's harder for administrators to get a handle on. And I'm not trying to criticize administrators because you know they do sign my paycheck. However, they do they are fond of the checklist approach sometimes to online education. Does your course have this? Does your course have that? Did you log in this many times? Did you have the gradebook organized? Multiple learning domains don't necessarily fit that checklist quite as well. And our review processes as faculty don't necessarily fit a checklist approach. If you give faculty members on a, on a review committee something to talk about, they tend to talk a lot about it. And the review process becomes more complex then, more time consuming. So what I'm trying to do is persuade people to be able to look at this in, a, in the same sort of streamlined way that they look at other things. Did you show up for class? Check, yes or no. Does it have multiple learning domains? Okay, let's not try to check that off. Let's just simply enjoy the fact that there are multiple learning domains visible in this class, and let's not try to judge them. Let's not try to review them and check them off. Are grading and assessment affected by using multiple domains? I've found that you have to organize your thoughts ahead of time on how you want to grade it before the students start to ask their questions, especially before they start turning in their work. When you want to emphasize, for example, creativity in a semester project, how am I going to grade that? That's a tough question. And how am I going to explain my expectations for creativity to a group of students without squashing their creativity. If you try to define creativity, then it becomes a very cognitive approach and you've just squashed the creative spirit. So what you have to do is start to feel more comfortable with ambiguity, but give them enough structure on the grading guidelines to guide them towards something that is meaningful, that is viewable, that is shareable with the rest of the classmates. 
Fortunately, when I teach these classes, I can take more of a managerial approach. Most of our students are aiming for careers in business or in professions, and so I can say, what we're doing is channeling your creativity towards something that is useful in a business or professional setting. It's not an art class. It's not a music class where we're aiming for enjoyment or we're aiming to sell it to people who want creative things on their walls or in their amplifiers. Instead, what we're doing is using creativity to enhance the bottom line in a business. So, for example, uh, I might ask my communication students to make a testimonial, and that would be a multimedia project, and that would be aimed at a particular audience. They have to go through all of those cognitive things of defining their audience and, and coming up with a sense of mission for their testimonial, what are they testifying about, and so on. But a testimonial is primarily an emotional vehicle. You are trying to get people emotionally hooked to whatever you're trying to sell them or to convince them of. I have them make a commercial for their research papers. And so the week before their research papers are due, they post their commercials for their classmates to view. And I tell them, you're selling your paper to your classmates. And they'll ask me, well, why? Why am I doing such a silly thing? You know, they have to read them anyway. And I said, no, you're communication students. You're in managerial communication. People do not have to read the stuff you're giving them. They're supposed to. They could get in trouble if they don't, but it's going to make their job a lot easier and your job a lot more effective if you can convince them that this is something meaningful ahead of time. In fact, as I look out here at this beautiful window at a setting we have, I see an advertisement for a famous beer in a ballpark. And I look just above that advertisement and I can see the brewery where that beer is brewed. It's a huge plant. That is a very logically organized, highly structured business going on over there. However, the brand that they are selling is primarily emotional. The commercials they put out are getting you convinced to either start drinking or keep drinking this particular beer over a different brand of beer. It's the same way in a class. It's primarily cognitive, yes, but it has these other domains which are very important. The social domain is very important too. I don't want to drink that beer alone. I want to drink it with other people and enjoy the social experience. That ballpark is built to hold lots of people. Everyone is going to be wondering what ballpark we're talking about. We're not going to share that with them. So you're going to have to contact you to find out. Pat, thank you so much for sharing your expertise in an area that many of us do not have a lot of knowledge. Could you share with us some contact information if people wanted to get in touch with you? The best way to get a hold of me is by email. I'm at pat.arts, P-A-T dot A-R-T-Z, at bellevue.edu. And Bellevue has a lot of E's in it. Those French put a lot of vowels in their words. It's B-E-L-L-E-V-U-E dot E-D-U. Pat, thank you so much. This is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association. And if you would like more information about USDLA, you can find us at www.usdla.org. Thank you very much and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. 
The Fischler School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.